the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible, from America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers, and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of the Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Thank you very much, Kevin Bell. Thank you, Brian, for being in there tonight to... See us along as we continue our way through the book of First Kings here on the Bible Live. We've just shifted from the New Testament now and gone back to pick up again where we left the people of Israel in the books of First and Second Kings. Like Samuel, these were at one time one book, one work, one historical record. The first and second kings of Israel were Saul and David. And now, of course, Solomon is firmly ensconced on the throne of Israel. He inherits a great kingdom. Israel at this time is at the peak of her power, her influence, her wealth, and Solomon comes to the throne. We started on Friday of last week. We have read the opening chapters, 1, 2, and 3. Tonight we'll be picking up in chapter 3 of the book of First Kings and reading right on through chapter 7. In chapter 3, Solomon has requested wisdom from God, and he'll give evidence of that wisdom in our opening story. But right now, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment in the Psalms, Psalm 68 tonight on The Bible Life. Psalm 68, 1 through 14. Arise, O God, and scatter your enemies. Let those who hate God run for their lives. Drive them off like smoke blown by the wind. Melt them like wax in fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God, but let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. 
Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and to His name. Sing loud praises to Him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in His presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But for rebels there is only famine and distress. O God, when you led your people from Egypt, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth trembled and the heavens poured rain before you, the God of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You sent abundant rain, O God, to refresh the weary promised land. There your people finally settled, and with a bountiful harvest, O God, you provided for your needy people. The Lord announces victory, and throngs of women shout the happy news. Enemy kings and their armies flee, while the women of Israel divide the plunder. Though they lived among the sheepfolds, now they are covered with silver and gold, as a dove is covered by its wings. The Almighty scattered the enemy kings like a blowing snowstorm on Mount Zalmon. End of reading, Psalm 68, 1 through 14. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And he fills our life with joy, with relief, with freedom to live as we ought. I was on a rather long plane trip just this past week. Got to talk to several people about Christ on the plane trip. It's always a joy to talk to them about the Lord, about his salvation offered to us in Jesus the Messiah, and find out where people are. Now let's get on into 1 Kings. Solomon has had his dream where God said he could have anything you'd like, and he asked for wisdom. And since the Lord was pleased with his request for wisdom instead of wealth or power, good looks or whatever, he gave him wisdom and other great blessings. Now Solomon is going to demonstrate that wisdom in one of the great simple stories of the Bible tonight on The Bible Life. 1 Kings 3.16 through 7.26 1 Kings 3 Sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my lord, one of them began, This woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, she also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted. It certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said. The dead one is yours, and the living one is mine. And so they argued back and forth before the king. Then the king said, Let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says that the dead child belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, Cut the living child in two and give half to each of these women. 
Then the woman who really was the mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill him, but give the baby to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. Word of the king's decision spread quickly throughout all Israel, and the people were awed as they realized the great wisdom God had given him to render decisions with justice. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. First Kings 4. So Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his high officials. Azariah, son of Zadok, was the priest. Elihoreph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were court secretaries. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was commander of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. Azariah, son of Nathan, presided over the district governors. Zabut, son of Nathan, a priest, was a trusted advisor to the king. Ahishar was manager of palace affairs. Adoniram, son of Abda, was in charge of the labor force. Solomon also had twelve district governors who were over all Israel. They were responsible for providing food from the people for the king's household. Each of them arranged provisions for one month of the year. These are the names of the twelve governors. Ben-Hur in the hill country of Ephraim. Ben-Deker in Makas, Shalbim, Beth-Shemesh, and Elon Beth-Hanan. Ben-Hesed in Araboth, including Soko and all the land of Hefer. Ben-Abinadab in Naphoth-Dor. He was married to Tafath, one of Solomon's daughters. Baana, son of Ahilut, in Taanach and Megiddo, all of Bethshan near Zerethan below Jezreel, and all the territory from Bethshan to Abel Meholah and over to Jokmeam. Ben Geber in Ramoth Gilead, including the towns of Jair, named for Jair, son of Manasseh in Gilead, and in the Argob region of Bashan, including sixty great fortified cities with gates barred with bronze. Ahinadab, son of Edo in Mahanaim. Ahimaas in Naphtali. He was married to Basimoth, another of Solomon's daughters. Baana, son of Hushai, in Asher and in Aloth. Jehoshaphat, son of Perua, in Issachar. Shimei, son of Elah, in Benjamin. Geber, son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, including the territories of King Sihon of the Amorites and King Og of Bashan. And there was one governor over the land of Judah. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They were very contented, with plenty to eat and drink. King Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far south as the border of Egypt. The conquered peoples of those lands sent tribute money to Solomon and continued to serve him throughout his lifetime. The daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels of choice flour and 300 bushels of meal. 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. Solomon's dominion extended over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tifsa to Gaza, and there was peace throughout the entire land. Throughout the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety, and from Dan to Beersheba, each family had its own home and garden. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his chariot horses and 12,000 horses. The district governors faithfully provided food for King Solomon and his court, each during his assigned month. They also brought the necessary barley and straw for the royal horses in the stables. God gave Solomon great wisdom and understanding and knowledge too vast to be measured. 
In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite and Hermon, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. 1 Kings 5. King Hiram of Tyre had always been a loyal friend of David, so when he learned that David's son Solomon was the new king of Israel, Hiram sent ambassadors to congratulate him. Then Solomon sent this message back to Hiram. You know that my father David was not able to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord his God because of the many wars he waged with surrounding nations. He could not build until the Lord gave him victory over all his enemies. But now the Lord my God has given me peace on every side, and I have no enemies, and all is well. So I am planning to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, just as he instructed my father that I should do. For the Lord told him, Your son, whom I will place on your throne, will build the temple to honor my name. Now please command that cedars from Lebanon be cut for me. Let my men work alongside yours, and I will pay your men whatever wages you ask. As you know, there is no one among us who can cut timber like you Sidonians. When Hiram received Solomon's message, he was very pleased and said, Praise the Lord for giving David a wise son to be king of the great nation of Israel. Then he sent this reply to Solomon, I have received your message, and I will do as you have asked concerning the timber. I can supply you with both cedar and cypress. My servants will bring the logs from the Lebanon mountains to the Mediterranean Sea and build them into rafts. We will float them along the coast to whatever place you choose. Then we will break the rafts apart and deliver the timber to you. You can pay me with food for my household. So Hiram produced for Solomon as much cedar and cypress timber as he desired. In return, Solomon sent him an annual payment of 100,000 bushels of wheat for his household and 110,000 gallons of olive oil. So the Lord gave great wisdom to Solomon just as he had promised. And Hiram and Solomon made a formal alliance of peace. Then King Solomon enlisted 30,000 laborers from all Israel. He sent them to Lebanon in shifts, 10,000 every month, so that each man would be one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of this labor force. Solomon also enlisted 70,000 common laborers, 80,000 stonecutters in the hill country, and 3,600 foremen to supervise the work. At the king's command, the stonecutters quarried and shaped costly blocks of stone for the foundation of the temple. Men from the city of Gebal helped Solomon's and Hiram's builders prepare the timber and stone for the temple. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Kings 6. It was in mid-spring during the fourth year of Solomon's reign that he began the construction of the temple of the Lord. This was 480 years after the people of Israel were delivered from their slavery in the land of Egypt. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The foyer at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. It projected outward 15 feet from the front of the temple. Solomon also made narrow recessed windows throughout the temple. A complex of rooms was built against the outer walls of the temple, all the way around the sides and rear of the building. 
The complex was three stories high, the bottom floor being seven and a half feet wide, the second floor nine feet wide, and the top floor ten and a half feet wide. The rooms were connected to the walls of the temple by beams resting on ledges built out from the wall, so the beams were not inserted into the walls themselves. The stones used in the construction of the temple were pre-finished at the quarry, so the entire structure was built without the sound of hammer, axe, or any other iron tool at the building site. The entrance to the bottom floor was on the south side of the temple. There were winding stairs going up to the second floor and another flight of stairs between the second and third floors. After completing the temple structure, Solomon put in a ceiling made of beams and planks of cedar. As already stated, there was a complex of rooms on three sides of the building attached to the temple walls by cedar timbers. Each story of the complex was seven and a half feet high. Then the Lord gave this message to Solomon. Concerning this temple you are building, if you keep all my laws and regulations and obey all my commands, I will fulfill through you the promise I made to your father David. I will live among the people of Israel and never forsake my people. So Solomon finished building the temple. The entire inside from floor to ceiling was paneled with wood. He paneled the walls and ceilings with cedar and he used cypress for the floors. He partitioned off an inner sanctuary, the most holy place, at the far end of the temple. It was 30 feet deep and was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. The main room of the temple, outside the most holy place, was 60 feet long. Cedar paneling completely covered the stone walls throughout the temple, and the paneling was decorated with carvings of gourds and open flowers. Solomon prepared the inner sanctuary in the rear of the temple, where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant would be placed. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. Solomon overlaid its walls and ceiling with pure gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Then he overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with pure gold, and he made gold chains to protect the entrance to the most holy place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the most holy place. Within the inner sanctuary, Solomon placed two cherubim made of olive wood, each 15 feet tall. The wingspan of each of the cherubim was 15 feet, each wing being seven and a half feet long. The two cherubim were identical in shape and size. Each was 15 feet tall. Solomon placed them side by side in the inner sanctuary of the temple. Their outspread wings reached from wall to wall, while their inner wings touched at the center of the room. He overlaid the two cherubim with gold. All the walls of the inner sanctuary and the main room were decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. The floor in both rooms was overlaid with gold. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, Solomon made double doors of olive wood with five-sided doorposts. These doors were decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and the doors were overlaid with gold. Then he made four-sided doorposts of olive wood for the entrance to the temple. There were two folding doors of cypress wood, and each door was hinged to fold back upon itself. These doors were decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and the doors were overlaid with gold. The walls of the inner courtyard were built so that there was one layer of cedar beams after every three layers of hewn stone. The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid in mid-spring of the fourth year of Solomon's reign. The entire building was completed in every detail by mid-autumn of the 11th year of his reign. So it took seven years to build the temple. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. First Kings 7. 
Solomon also built a palace for himself, and it took 13 years to complete the construction. One of Solomon's buildings was called the Palace of the Forest of Lebanon. It was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The great cedar ceiling beams rested on four rows of cedar pillars. It had a cedar roof supported by 45 rafters that rested on three rows of pillars, 15 in each row. On each of the side walls, there were three rows of windows facing each other. All the doorways were rectangular in frame. They were in sets of three facing each other. He also built the Hall of Pillars, which was 75 feet long and 45 feet wide. There was a porch at its front, covered by a canopy that was supported by pillars. There was also the Hall of the Throne, also known as the Hall of Judgment, where Solomon sat to hear legal matters. It was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. Solomon's living quarters surrounded a courtyard behind this hall. They were built the same way. He also built similar living quarters for Pharaoh's daughter, one of his wives. All these buildings were built entirely from huge, costly blocks of stone cut and trimmed to exact measure on all sides. Some of the huge foundation stones were 15 feet long and some were 12 feet long. The costly blocks of stone used in the walls were also cut to measure and cedar beams were also used. The walls of the great courtyard were built so that there was one layer of cedar beams after every three layers of hewn stone, just like the walls of the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple with its entrance foyer. King Solomon then asked for a man named Huram to come from Tyre, for he was a craftsman skilled in bronze work. He was half Israelite since his mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father had been a foundry worker from Tyre. So he came to work for King Solomon. Huram cast two bronze pillars, each 27 feet tall and 18 feet in circumference. For the tops of the pillars, he made capitals of molded bronze, each seven and a half feet tall. Each capital was decorated with seven sets of latticework and interwoven chains. He also made two rows of pomegranates that encircled the latticework to decorate the capitals over the pillars. The capitals on the columns inside the foyer were shaped like lilies, and they were six feet tall. Each capital on the two pillars had 200 pomegranates in two rows around them, beside the rounded surface next to the latticework. Huram set the pillars at the entrance of the temple, one toward the south and one toward the north. He named the one on the south, Jachin, and the one on the north, Boaz. The capitals on the pillars were shaped like lilies, and so the work on the pillars was finished. Then Huram cast a large round tank, 15 feet across from rim to rim. It was called the sea. It was seven and a half feet deep and about 45 feet in circumference. The sea was encircled just below its rim by two rows of decorative gourds. There were about six gourds per foot all the way around, and they had been cast as part of the tank. The sea rested on a base of 12 bronze oxen, all facing outward. Three faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. The walls of the sea were about three inches thick, and its rim flared out like a cup and resembled a lily blossom. It could hold about 11,000 gallons of water. End of reading, 1 Kings 3.16 through 7.26. How good it is that we are reading this passage at this particular time. We are in the mode right now of thinking about what is the best philosophy, what is the best approach to leading this country. As you know, more and more as power becomes centralized, 
more and more as we become a statist-minded people, citizens of this country are looking more and more to a strong, controlling, centralized government, a centrally managed economy, which has never worked in all of the history of humanity, including the time that we're reading about right now. That's one of the things that leads to Solomon's decline. Remember now, Solomon has inherited Israel at its prime, at its highest point of wealth and influence and power. And over his 40 years, he manages to grind it into dust. It is destroyed in his time. Almost immediately following his death, a great civil war takes place. The kingdom is divided, and Israel never again achieves that kind of power, that kind of influence, or the unity in the time of peace and so on that was mentioned here. Remember, this president that is in power right now inherited the greatest nation the world has ever seen. He inherited the most wealthy nation in all the planet Earth, the most powerful nation in all of planet Earth, the nation with the greatest political system that the world has ever known about. And this nation is being driven as well into the dust. As the dollar declines, as the debt builds up by the trillions and trillions of dollars, we will see how quickly a nation can spin into decline. What causes this sort of thing? They were adequately warned, just as we have been warned, as far back as First Samuel. Samuel said, this is how a king will rule over you. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow his fields and harvest his crops and make his weapons and chariot equipment. He will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away your best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves. You can see economically how the state would take more and more and more from the people out of the private sector into the public sector to support the government itself. Same thing is told way, way back by Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. If you want to look for it, he talks about how the king would build a large stable of horses for himself and never return to Egypt, he was told, although Solomon married a daughter of the Pharaoh. We are beginning to see in the early years of Solomon's reign, there's a mixture of of elements, both positive and negative. The, the building of this temple is absolutely wonderful. It's a great place of worship. You can hear at least some of Solomon's heart is seeking after God, longing for God, wanting to honor God and follow God. And yet, mixed in there are the, all of these ways of disobeying God, marrying uh, many, many wives of, of other gods that compromise his own devotion to the true and living God, just as they were warned by Samuel and, and way back in the time of Moses. And we'll continue next time to follow the life of Solomon. Soapy Reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, 
Join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 